Tonight, here in just a moment, we're going to be um, reading portions of Isaiah 64. So if you'd like to turn there, Isaiah 64, uh, here in just a moment. Um, as I mentioned this morning, I, um, I want to address the, uh, the, what's happening at, the, at Asbury University up in Kentucky, just, a, just I think just a little bit south of Lexington, Kentucky. Um, it, it has gone definitely viral, what is happening there, what is taking place there. Um, if, if you're not familiar with it, what has happened there at Asbury University, uh, it was uh, this Wednesday, if it, if it carries on, it'll be two weeks. It wasn't last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, they had their normal chapel service, and just ordinary chapel service. I actually, uh, last week, found the chapel sermon that preceded what had taken place and watched it, and it was just ordinary, um, the way they described uh, a lot of times like an a, uh, early morning, midweek chapel service, a lot of times isn't the most exciting event that takes place at the university. Um, but after that, after that sermon, um, some of the, the students hung around, and it was, it was a, one young man stood up and uh, had a, a moment of confession. He was confessing some sins in his life, things that he was dealing with, and, uh, and then from that, there, was, uh, there were several others that followed, and there was songs, and there was praying, and more confession, uh, more singing, more worship, more confession, and that has been going on since uh, Wednesday before last, um, and it's still going on today, as, as, as I checked uh, before we came. So, uh, so much so, even, I read th- this afternoon that the university is trying to, like, Okay, we're going to have to maybe get away from the public setting of it. They're trying to get back to normal, I guess. Um, but it's still happening now. Uh, it is, it's gone so viral that I think that, uh, that even from our church that I should have a word about it, respond to it, um, because it certainly affects us. Um, it, it's being called a revival, and uh, we, will, we will see. I'm going to give you some uh, my, my uh, observations from it. But uh, I first want to maybe define what a revival is. Uh, first of all, if I say we need revival, everybody says amen. Amen. We need revival. Amen. We sure do. That is something that the, uh, that the entire born-again professing Christian church would definitely agree on. What is a revival? Well, a revival is a supernatural correction by God's Spirit. Um, it's not the start of something new. Revival doesn't start some new thing. But a revival is a, is, a, is a restoration or return back to God. That's, that's what a revival is. Um, I read today and I thought this definition would be, would be appropriate. It breaks the charm of the world. That's what a revival does. And historically, they've came. It could either be like a national revival. It could be a local revival. Um, I think what is helping this get attention is because never before or not like we have now. There's so much information you can have quickly, real times. It can spread rapidly. Things can, good or bad. Um, but historically, revivals have taken place when it's a dark spiritual environment. It's, it's, the revivals take place when things are bad, in other words. Revivals happen when uh, people's hearts have grown cold. A lot of times we say, like, like we want to have a revival. Or we're going to say, we're going to have a revival. I don't like saying that anymore. That's rather presumptuous to say that. Say, well, we're going to have a revival in October. Well, we don't know. We can have a meeting. We can have a gathering. 
We can pray about it. We can pray for revival. I'll be honest with you, though, in my lifetime, I've thought about it the last week or so, with my own eyes in my life, I have yet to see like what I would consider true biblical revival, a return back to God. And I hope and pray I can see that uh, before, uh, before I get, either get raptured or I, or I meet the Lord through, uh, through, the, through the way of death. But a revival always happens, if it is going to be one, normally it happens when, when the society or the culture has turned away from God. And so we are ripe for a revival. It's always, it seems, when things are dark, when, when the night is at its darkest, the Lord seems to revive and gather His people. So I hope and pray that, uh, that certainly that you and I could experience that in our lifetime. There's been past revivals in this country, like the Great Awakening. A lot of that had to do even with the American Revolution. There were ma- a major player in that was a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards, um, where it had a lot of work, it had a lot of influence on the idea, and we're still trying to come to terms with this, but that people are created equal under the eyes of God, and people, people have rights that were given to them by God, and all of that thinking has sprung out of the Great Awakening. We had a second Great Awakening after the Civil War. I suppose God, it was dark, dark times, and God saw fit that this country needed to heal and needed to come back to God. You know, when we come back to God, yeah, I've noticed that, when we come back to God, it seems like then we come back to each other, Amen. God bring restores unity. And so if there's ever division, the hope is that God can bring us back to unity with him. When we're right vertically, then you know how the saying goes, then we get right horizontally in our earthly relationships. There was a revival early 1900s called the, uh, the Azusa Street Revival, if I pronounced that correctly. It was in L.A. Uh, it went on for several years. Um, there were some good things that come out of that, some bad things that come out of that. Uh, there was the Lewis Revival. It took place in Scotland, in an island in northern Scotland. It, it lasted a couple of years. And so historically, revivals have taken place. Uh, there was, there's some biblical revivals that might uh, stoke your attention, like Josiah the king. He, he turned his heart towards God, remember, at 16. He began to seek after God. And then eight years later, he's like, you know what? Since he's been seeking God, he's like, you know what, we can't have uh, sodomite and uh, prostitute huts and places next to the temple of God. So he tore all that down because he began to seek after God. He's like, you know what, we can't have pagan, heathen worship sites on the high hills around Jerusalem. We need to tear them down. And it led to a revival because he began to seek God. John the Baptist is another one. It was dull, dreary, it was quiet for 600 years, and then here comes John the Baptist, and he was a voice crying out in the wilderness, and through the preaching of John the Baptist, it brought about national repentance, and it paved the way for the Lord and, uh, and his, his coming. Uh, there were the Samaritans, if you remember John chapter number 4, it's, it's, sometimes they happen in unusual places where you don't think, and Jesus meets the woman at the well, you think, well, they don't deserve revival. I, I, I tell you, who don't deserve revival? The people who need to get revived are the ones that don't, that, that don't deserve revival. Amen? So that, think about it. Revival happens to people who are broken. Revival happens 
to people who are in communities and nations that need God. So Jesus goes to Samaria, John chapter number 4. He meets the woman at the well. She's had, not had one husband, not had two husbands, not had three, four, but she's had five husbands. And the, and the man she's with now is not her husband. And, she to, and Jesus told her everything about her. And she said, uh, we believe the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, the one who's speaking to you, he is the Messiah. And she runs back to Samaria, if you remember. And she spreads the good news, and revival breaks out in Samaria where nobody thought it would ever happen. And I'm glad the Lord visits people. Grace doth abound where sin abounds. Grace doth that much more abound. Amen? So revivals have historically taken place. There's some things I appreciate about what's happening, though, in, up there in Asbury University. First is I appreciate that it started with weeping and confession and contrition. I appreciate that. I appreciate that it seems to be marked by a high view of God. There's a lot of worship that God is exalted, and I appreciate that. It's hard to have revival unless you view, view God correctly. You cannot have revival unless there is contrition, confession, and repentance. There'll never be revival. I appreciate that what's happening in Asbury University seems to be without a a human leadership. It seems to be without a plan, and I appreciate that. There's no big-time preacher coming. There's no, they didn't uh, promote him for weeks. There's no big-time singing groups that were planned. It seems to be without, without human leadership. Now, that, that sometimes leads to some crazy things that may or may not happen. But I appreciate that it seems to be, what's the word we like to say, organic. It seems to have started without any planning. And I appreciate that. Revivals typically happen without notice. They seem to just a supernatural outpouring of God. He uses it to correct his people. I appreciate that there is an avoidance of any spectacle. I know uh, Kenneth Copeland, if you listen to him, stop. But Kenneth Copeland came and he wanted to, there's a lot of people who want to hijack this. He wanted to hijack it. I appreciate they, would, they wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let his team come. I even heard a report that CNN wanted to come. They, they, didn't, they didn't really let them come. They're not even trying to live stream it. I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. I absolutely do. Uh, and I'm not going to get tonight before we, before we get into our text, because I want to address what's happening. But I, I'm not going to like join the debate if this is a real revival or a false revival, because we don't know yet. We don't know yet. And I, I don't want to do that because I don't know yet. I'm not there. But these are the, some things that I appreciate that's going on. Um, but we need to be cautious. Uh, let's be cautious before we accept it, though, because we're not there. Uh, 1 John chapter number 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. So we need to be careful before, like, Westside labels this a true revival, because I, honestly, I don't know yet. I pray it is, but I don't know yet. I certainly don't know yet. Um, I do wish, though, that I would hear more, and it may or may not be going on, more of a return back to biblical obedience. I wish the Word of God would be exalted more there. From, what I, from, from me standing 200 miles away, you know, easy for me to judge, correct? But I do wish that I would hear more about a return to obedience to Scripture. 
Um, so we got to be cautious before we accept it, but we also have to be cautious before we reject it based on what we've seen off the internet or what we've seen from afar. Uh, there's always radicals, there's always a radical fringe to every biblical revival. You could think back to Acts chapter number 16, where uh, Paul the Apostle is heading through Philippi. A lot of things are happening, and there's this girl behind him, following him for days, and she's possessed with a demon. And uh, she, she's, she's saying, and I believe it's almost mockery, she's saying, these are the, these are the servants of the Most High God. And it, it gets so annoying to Paul, he's so annoyed that he cast the demon out from her. And you know, sometimes I think, I wish I could be so annoying that God would bless me, amen? But and he cast the demon out from her. So if you're looking on the outside looking in, you would say that surrounds the Apostle Paul, surrounding the Apostle Paul, there is a fringe element, uh, there's a radical element. And we've got to be careful when we see things radical happening at a true revival, because there's always a fringe radical element. We have to be careful that we don't just focus on that, because you would agree that if, if there's a thousand people at a gathering, you know ten of them are crazy. You know that? Somebody say, there may be more at Westside. That's your judgment. I'm just, I pose the question. <laughs> but we have to be careful before we reject it just because there is a radical element. And there's never been a revival without sin in it. There's never, just like in your Christian life, there is no perfect repentance on earth on this side of heaven. You know, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Any of you? Amen? So we've got to be a little bit careful before we accept it. We have to be cautious. And we also have to be cautious before we reject it just based on some things that you might have noticed from Knoxville because I'll be honest with you, it's hard to tell everything that's going on. And another thing, there's things happen in church services here at our church that I wish didn't happen, amen? There's been moments in our church that if somebody judged us, I would think, you know what, I hope they don't think that that's the way we are because of that one moment that, take, that has taken place, Amen? Because we have, to, we, have to be, we have to have discernment and be careful. We've had some bad days at Westside. I hope them bad days don't define the legacy of our church. Amen? I've had some bad days in my Christian life, haven't you? I tell you what, I've made some bad choices since I've been saved. But you? I have even went the wrong way. I'm looking back at it, I'm embarrassed about it. I've even went the wrong way scripturally thinking I'm 100% right. And then by the time the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me, and by the time the Word of God gets turned in my life, I realize I'm on the wrong path, I'm on the wrong track, and I'm just like the prodigal son. I'm embarrassed that I'm in the hog pen. I'm going to go back to my father's house. Amen? So just because something that you see in your life or the life of Westside, let me say, that does not define, Lord willing, the direction that we are seeking and we are wanting to go as a people of God. Amen? And so let's be cautious before we accept it, because I don't know. So you say, is it a revival? I, pr I hope and pray it is. Time will tell. Should you reject it? I, I, I'd be, I, I'm cautious. Should you accept it? I'll be honest with you. I'm cautious. You might say, well, that's kind of wishy-washy. I don't know I'm not there. Amen? I don't know. We have to have discernment, though. We have to have discernment. We should be cautious before we reject it because revivals are messy and oftentimes they cross denominational lines. You know, there's some Methodists there that don't agree with all the Baptists that are there. You know that? There's some Presbyterians that are there that don't agree with all the Methodists who are there, I guarantee it. It's a Westland University. I guarantee you there's students of all different backgrounds and they all don't agree with each other. But you know what? I, if they are doing this, this one thing I do agree on. If this is the truth, 
no matter what they, how they are different, I mean, you know, obviously with, with, with some discernment in that, because if they deny their virgin birth, that's not Christian, amen? But if they are seeking God, I'm 100% on board with that, ain't you? Because I, I think, uh, I, you say, were you crazy? I, don't you agree? I think someone struggling with, a homosexual, with homosexuality, you know what they need to do? They need to seek Jesus, amen? Someone struggling with, uh, with uh, doubt, they need to seek God. Somebody struggling with addiction, yeah, they need to seek God. Somebody struggling with, they need to seek God. And just like Josiah did when he was 16 years old, if he began to seek God first, and then he tore down all the Sodomites', all the Sodomites tents and prostitution rings. Then after he sought after God, it was then after that that he tore down all the false, false pagan sites in, in in Jerusalem. We have to seek God first. Amen? Seeking God absolutely comes first. So what is biblical revival? We're going to find our answer tonight, Isaiah chapter number 64. This, I think, in this chapter, it deals with, I believe, one of the, 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 um, the greatest in all the scripture, in my opinion thus far, characteristics of a revival. I think Isaiah chapter 64, it is the, it is the formula for revival. It is, it is that this is what a revival is. And what I'm going to do is, I'm not going to just read it and then preach through it. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to discover some, read the verses and, and preach about it, then read some more verses and preach about that. But Isaiah 64, in my opinion, it describes biblical Holy Spirit revival. So what is a revival? Number one, verses one through three, revivals are marked with a high view of God. It is marked with a high view of of God. Look at verses 1 through 3. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Who can do that? God does that. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. So Isaiah is saying, God, you are great, you are mighty, you are higher than the heavens. I wish you would rend the heavens with your might, with your power, with your excellency, with your omnipotence. Thou wouldest come down. What is he saying? I, I need you to come down into my life. He has an extreme high view of God. He views God as higher than the earth, higher than the tallest mountain peak, and he views God higher than the heavens, that his throne and his power and his authority are higher than heaven itself. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, he says. In verse number two, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that thy nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, when we looked not for, thou camest down. The mountains flowed down at thy presence. It's possible here that Isaiah is thinking about when God on Mount Zion, on Mount, on Mount Sinai rather, when he came down on the mountain with fire, and he came down the fire and it boiled the waters and he made thy name known to the adversaries in Egypt. And what is he saying in verses 2 and 3? Isaiah is saying pretty much this, God, like you did it then, would you do it again in this generation? That's what he's saying. God, you showed yourself mighty once. Would you show yourself mighty to this generation? Would you show yourself powerful? 
Would you show yourself in your strength and your glory? Would you do what you did a hundred years ago? Would you do it again now? This sounds like somebody that is seeking God and needs revival, don't it? This sounds like somebody who recognizes that God is God and God of Scripture. He wants that God to act mightily and powerfully in His generation and in His lifetime. He wants God to do a work among His people. Now, He has a high view of God. Secondly, revivals are marked by this. Not only are revivals marked by a high view of God, but number two, revivals are marked by confession and repentance of sin. Look at verses 5 and 6. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. There'll never be a revival unless it starts right there. A high view of God, and what happens after that? Remember Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. What happens next? Woe is me. He has a high view of God. (gasps) What happens after that? He looks at himself. I am rags in the presence of God. I am weak in the presence of God. I am sick in God's presence. My life is polluted in the presence of God. When you have a low view of God, you can walk around in filthy rags and not know it. When you have a low view of God, you can do whatever you want to, can't you? When you have a low view of God, you do not care if you've rebelled against this weak God in your mind. But when God is high and lofty, what happens next? (gasps) Woe is me. For I am unclean, Isaiah said. Woe is me, Adam and Eve said. For we are naked. Woe is me, for I have, I have, this would be correct thinking in the midst of revival. I am a, as we just sung tonight, I am a worm. I am vile and wretched. For a wretch is me. I've wasted many years. I've squandered my life. I've wrecked my testimony. I've sinned against a holy God. I've sinned against a thrice holy God. Isaiah saw holy, holy, holy. And he said, woe is me. My language, oh God, is not right. I'm in, the, I, I, I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my lips are unclean, oh God. And you know what this nation and this community and what our churches need is a high view of God that leads to what? I have sinned against Thee, oh God. I have sinned. I have come short of Your glory. I have transgressed your law. I have made a mockery of marriage and relationships and and sexuality. I have sinned against your creative order. I have sinned. I have stolen. I I have murdered. I have committed adultery. I have committed fornication. My eyes have seen things I shouldn't have seen. And my flesh has partook of things I shouldn't have partook. And there'll never be revival or a move of God apart from that. God loves a broken and a contrite spirit. He cares nothing of our religion unless we are broken in His presence. We honor Him with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. 
We enjoy singing his songs, but our hearts are full of rebellion. Our worship means nothing to him unless it's backed or spews out of a broken heart. Revival is marked by confession and repentance. Look at verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. That's a way to talk about yourself, isn't it? An unclean thing. We're so dignified, you know. Isaiah views himself after he sees a high and lifted up God. He says, I'm an unclean thing. It's like he can't even bring himself to say that he's human. Because he's not acting according to the image that God created him to be. I'm just an unclean thing. You know, the Seraphonician woman, she said, Jesus, would you come heal my daughter? Jesus kept on walking. Jesus, would you, would you come heal my daughter? She's grievously vexed with the Spirit. Oh, Jesus, this Gentile, would you, would you please come heal my daughter? And Jesus says something astonishing. He says, don't you know I've come to the children of Israel? It's not meat. It's not good for me to give the children's meat to the dogs. And she says, yay, Lord. What's she saying? Yeah, that's right about me. You know what, I, he, she wasn't really interested in theology. She agreed with him. She said, yeah, I'm a dog. I'm a Gentile dog. That's right, Jesus. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You know what she's saying? The same stuff that's in the bread, the same stuff is in the crumbs. And if you'll just give me any part of you, if I could just have the crumbs, if you would just give me crumbs, because the same thing that's in the, in the, on the entrees, the same ingredients in the crumbs And what she's saying. I'm a dog, I just need crumbs. And Jesus said, Thy daughter be healed. Yea, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. But we are an unclean thing. You know, there'll never be revival, true revival in America, until the American people and even the church of Jesus Christ would come to this glorious observation. We are all as an unclean thing. We're entertained by unclean things, and we listen to unclean things, and we say unclean things, and we admire unclean things, and we enjoy unclean things, and we participate in unclean things, and our hearts are unclean, and our bodies are unclean, and our minds are unclean, and everything about us is unclean. And when in the world are we ever going to say this? Oh, Jesus, clean me, for I am unclean clean thing. But you know, people have their dignity. About what? In the presence of a holy God. There'll never be revival unless it's marked by confession and repentance of sin. Verse 6 again, but we are all as an unclean thing and our righteousness are as filthy rags. You've heard that expression before, haven't you? That my righteousness is, and we boast in it sometimes, we say, but I want you, and I, I want to be biblically clear and correct here. You know what filthy rags in Isaiah 64, verse 6 is? For those that have ears to hear, it is actually minstrel rags. And Isaiah is saying that I am like that. That's what he's saying. That's pretty broken, isn't it? 
He's getting it. He's seeing it. That's kind of the New Testament maybe. The commentary on this would be where Paul says, I think Jason quoted the other day, he said, God forbid that I should glory in anything save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We're the sinners. We are all, and it's like, I think it's cool. He says, we are all. So whether you realize it or not, that, that's you. We are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, all of our best before a holy God, this is the perspective that all of my goodness compared to Him. I wish I was ten foot tall compared to Him. Him, all of our goodness. All of our goodness compared to Him is as a filthy, nasty, dirty rag. I got chickens. You Anybody got chickens? You know, uh, if you got chickens nowadays, you're a rich man. You know that? I got my own chickens. And then we got a rooster. And then we're going to have more chickens. I'm going to be more wealthy. You know, in the old, it used to be we look, you look down on somebody that owns chickens. But now I look down on you. Amen. <laughs> like in the old days, in the old days, if a man had a car, he bought a car, he was rich. But nowadays it seems like if you have a bunch of horses, Maybe that's even more valuable than a car, it seems. But I got chickens. Maybe you don't, but I might give you an egg, maybe. But I, one bad thing about chickens, you know, what goes in comes out. And you wouldn't believe it. People say, oh, they eat like a bird. Let me tell you something. Birds eat a lot. And birds eat all the time. If you've got one of them kids that eats like a bird, I don't know how in the world you feed them. That's all they do is eat, eat, eat. Birds eat all the time. And I took a rag today, and my chickens, they got to where I didn't want them, and I had to clean up, you know what, with that rag. You know that. I had to do it. And I think about it even now, that my righteousness, my best compared to God, is like the filthy rag that I use to clean up the chicken mess off my driveway. That's my righteousness. So that's a pretty defeated position. Yeah. Oh, how I need thee. Oh, how I need thee. I need thee every hour. You see it? So righteous or revival is marked by a high view of God. It is marked by repentance, contrition, and confession of sin because it's natural. Well, I'm, I, Lord, I have no righteousness. Number three, look at verse number seven. Revivals are marked not only by, not only by high views of God, not only by confession and repentance of sin, but true biblical revivals are marked with a hunger and a thirst for God. Look at verse 7, the first part of verse number 7. There is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. It's, a, it's like a rhetorical question. He's like, where are they all at? That's what he's saying. Where are they all at? 
You know why we need revival? Because I asked the same question. Where are they all at that seek after this holy, soul-saving, life-changing, sin-cleaning-up, joy, Holy Ghost-filling, purpose-giving Savior? Who don't want Him and who don't enjoy Him? Where are they all at? Where are they at? You'd rather have, think about it, you'd rather have rags than riches in Christ Jesus. Where are they all at? When we can't find them, and when it's not me or you, then we desperately need revival. Now, I used to think, you know, and I've said it, pray for revival, but I, I don't even... Revival is a supernatural act of God to correct an apostizing group of His people. It is a work of God that He restores and regathers His people and breaks the charm of the world and snaps them out of it. It snaps them out of it. That's what God does. He snaps you out of it and you awaken to it. <gasps> look at Him and look at me. Oh God, oh Lord, I confess every single sin to you. And what happens after confession? Seek after God. Feel me, Lord. I've been empty for so long. I'm so thirsty. I haven't drank from your grace in months or years. If there's no seeking, there's no repentance. Repentance is the emptying of ourselves before a holy God. And seeking God is a feeling. Oh, God, feel me. I need you because I've poured out everything on the altar before you. My tank's empty. I seek you, oh holy God. There's a passage that really bugs me. I can't think of the chapter, not in the book of Psalms. As the heart, that's, the, it's a, that's a deer. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my, my soul after thee, O oh God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And that is maybe the whole Summary of spirituality that a spiritual heart is thirsting after God for the living God, for thee, O oh God. Without the hunger and a thirst for God, there'll be no revival. Without a hunger and thirst for God, there is no revival. I've seen it a bunch. We're going to have a revival. We're going to, it's almost like I've almost been turned against it. We're going to have a revival. Okay, we're going to have a revival. So we had them Monday through Friday, and then nobody comes to church the next Sunday morning. We, we switched them. We'll have them Monday through Wednesday. And you know what? We get so full of God's Spirit and so revived and so energized that the next Sunday's deader than 3 a.m. Real revival is a supernatural work of God that can happen at any moment where God, by His Holy Spirit, awakens hearts to see Him in His high and lifted up, haughty place, holy place. And the people go, <gasps> and they confess and they repent and they seek after God. Lastly, number four. Revivals are marked not only with a high view of God, not only with confession and repentance, not only with a hunger and a thirst for God, but lastly, 
Revivals are marked by a surrender to God. Look at verse number 8. Before I read it, now think about the process. He saw the Lord in a high and holy position. It's convicted him of his sin. He emptied himself in repentance and confession. He's hungry and thirsty for righteousness. But now in verse 8, the progression is this. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. It's like a reunion. Okay? Thou art our Father. So he goes from confession, I'm a filthy rag. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Verse number 6. We've been taken away. And then he seeks God in verse number 7. And at the end of this seeking God, he says in verse 8, But now, O Lord, Thou art my Father. We're back. And because, O Lord, even that expression in verse number 8, I can hear his soul sing it. O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou art the potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. What's he saying? He's so surrendered. He says, you know what? Do anything you want to with me. Complete surrender. I'll do anything you say. You want me to forsake my sin of fornication? Praise the Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord Jesus, help me. I surrender my all to you. You want me to read my Bible and return to Scripture? Yes. Yes, O Lord. We often think, you know what, I want revival. Do you really want revival? Think about that. I mean, is that really what you want? You want to lose your life. Is that what you want? You want you to end and Jesus to begin? I mean, you want it to be no longer about you, but all about the will of God. That's what revival is. People think, well, I want to have revival. I mean, do you really? Do you really or do you want to have a good singing service? I mean, you, I say, I want revival. You want to be slobbered all over by a preacher for an hour and a half and say, at, your, at the Shoney's, or the Shoney's is good, by the way, nothing against it, but at the restaurant after the preacher sweated and slobbered and ran and ranted and took his jacket off and loosened his tie, and then everybody says, boy, he really preached tonight. Amen. And then, though, it's same old stuff, same old stuff. Thy, my will be done instead of thine be done. That's not revival. You just got entertained, amen? That's all it was. Just an entertainment session. That's all it was. But revival is what? Oh my, the living God, I confess, I repent. Lord Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. I'm seeking you, fill me, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. I'll do anything you say. I'll live for you, I'll die for you. I'm tired of my own will, I'm tired of my own life. It's all you. Do we really want revival? Do we really want revival? That's the question. And see, that's why I don't know yet. What's, I don't know yet. I don't, I'm, not in, I'm not in Lexington, Kentucky. You know, I would like to hear this. Maybe there's a LGP, LGBTQ+. Plus. I'm worried about the plus sign. I don't know what it's going to be, and you don't either, and that's scary, amen? I don't know what it's going to be. Bestiality, pedophilia, I don't know. What else could it be? I mean, what else can it be? I would love to hear maybe a group on campus say, you know what? 
We've been wrong about all this. We've been wrong about it all. Just as I am, without one plea, I come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come to thee. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear it. Maybe it is. I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But this is what revival is. I mean, do we want revival? That's the question. You know, see, we want, people say, well, I, I want to have an exciting service. Listen, I would rather have a move of God in a service. People say, I, I want to, I, I would rather, you know when the gospel gets real? is when it leaves the songbook and it, li- and it starts living in your heart. That's when it starts getting real. You know, when the, when the gospel gets real, when it leaves the pulpit, and if you value what was said to be the very word of God according, backed up by Scripture, and you view it as that, backed up by the Bible in your lap, and you could say, amen, I'm convinced that that is the word of God. And if that is the word of God, and we've agreed to it, you know what revival looks like? It's that being lived in radical applications in our daily lives. And when it's not that, let's just be honest, it is open rebellion against His Word. Say, we want revival. I pray to God. Now listen, now, here's what, you see, we can't stoke that up can we? It has to be an outpouring. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, tear them in half, and come down and visit us. And you'd melt our little hill up here on Vermont Avenue. That you would come down like you've done in days gone by. Like our mamma and papa and their great-grandparents spoke of. That you would come down, O oh God, and visit us. O oh, thou living God, you would tear the roof off this building and have an outpouring of your spirit. We would no longer need human leadership. We'd no longer have to come up with a plan. If there was a dead part in the service, nobody would care. If there was a time between singing and nobody would care, somebody would come and pray and nobody would care. It wouldn't be, hurry, why ain't they singing the next song yet? Nobody would care. There'd be a pause in the sermon and nobody would care. Nobody would care. Because we would know that He has visited His people. And we'll say this, yeah, I'll give it all up for Him. That's revival. You say, well, I I want revival. I'll tell you what, revival is a radical change of the status quo. That's revival. You know, I mentioned this morning, it might even shock some. I'll give a little disclaimer here. Qualified, rather. That's the word, maybe. That's how the intellectuals talk. Let me qualify it. I said this morning, you might be shocked by it, but I, I would like to see, I said this morning, I would like to see, I'm closing, I would like to see on the way to Westside Baptist Church that United Methodist Church, I mean, repentant, repentant and full, that building full. Say, well, you want the Methodist building full? I'd rather have the Methodist building full than a bunch of atheist children outside of it. 
I'd rather deal with Methodism than what we got going on today. Wouldn't you? I, I would rather, I would rather just say, well, the primitive, I'd rather have a primitive Baptist church building full, I mean packed out to the brim. You say, well, I don't really, we don't really, maybe we, there's some disagreements the way we view things. You know what? I would rather have that disagreement than 14-year-old girls thinking they're boys. I'd rather have that. I'd rather deal with that. Amen? I'd rather deal with denominational debates. I would even rather deal with methods of baptism than I'd rather deal with sitting in a counseling session talking about who, what, who, who knows what because of the culture and the depravity and the fornication and the godlessness and drunkenness of this adulterous, sin-cursed generation. I'd rather it be a traffic jam on Sunday mornings, all of us going to our little places of worship, than what we're facing today in this hour and this time. Some people just want a Baptist revival. I tell you what, I just don't want a denominational revival. I want people by the millions to come to Jesus Christ. Don't you? We can worry about all that after that, can't we? Just like, hey, you better be careful. Yeah, I know. And sometimes we gag at gnats too, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. They asked the great Baptist preacher, I don't know, I suppose he was. His sermons read good, C.H. Spurgeon. What do you think? You're going to see John Wesley in heaven? You see, they viewed things differently. And he said, the great preacher, Baptist preacher, said about the Methodist preacher who started Methodism. He said, no, I don't think I'll see John Wesley in heaven. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you thought he wouldn't go to heaven. And C.H. Spurgeon said, I think he'll be so close to Jesus, I won't even be able to see him from the light of Jesus Christ. All of us, I'm about through, are wrong about something. Amen? All of us. And we've spent so much of our energy splitting and dividing and fussing and bickering. And I know you say, you better be careful. I know, listen, I'm not a novice and I'm not arrogant about it either. I know I can have a decent spiritual conversation but with somebody that views the end times differently than I do at the crystals without throwing french fries at each other. I can do it. And you know what? If we can't worship together, then that's why there's different church buildings. Amen? But I'd rather have that. I'd rather have that than what we have right now. I'd rather have it. What is revival? Well, we're going to see, I guess. It's a high view of God with repentance, with a, feel, with a seeking after God, followed by, Lord, I am the clay, and thou art the potter. Do with me as you will, O Lord. O Lord. I think one of the most convicting passages in the New Testament is this. Why you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, and you don't do the things that I say? Examine ourselves. Amen? Amen. That's revival. Let's stand to our feet. So I don't know. Is the Asbury revival a revival? I don't know. I hope and pray it is. I don't know. It's hard to tell from here. Time will tell, I suppose. 
I do like young people praying, don't you? But Isaiah 64, this is revival. It is. It is. It is. Help us, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.